The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wind Was a Beginning. This is a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 3, Episode 2, Life Lessons with Robert Jordan. Hello, everyone. We're so glad to have you with us again this week. My name is Justin, but you know that we could not do this show without our other host, our more knowledgeable host who knows so much about the Wheel of Time. Stephen, how are you tonight, my friend? I am doing great. (laughs) Uh, Really excited to dive into these chapters and... uh... There's some interesting lore and different things coming up, and I'm just excited. I love how embarrassed you get whenever I mention how much you know about this series. <laughs> I, fe- I feel like there are people that are definitely more knowledgeable than me. Like, I listen to some other uh, folks, and I know there's some other people in forums online and such uh, that, you know have been at this a lot longer than I have. Uh, Well, as far as this show is concerned, you're the expert. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, before we get into it tonight, um, it's November now. So I feel like we need to answer the question that is on everybody's minds. Is there Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Oh, fighting. You want to get into an argument now. I see how this is. Uh, uh, l- l- let's just say, what, what, what is your position on that? Christmas begins at midnight Thanksgiving night. Okay. See, I, Christmas I, doesn't start until after Thanksgiving has had its due. I see. I, I take the approach that Christmas begins at midnight Halloween night. And I, I, I can enjoy turkey and dressing and, you know, think about all the things that I'm thankful for while sitting by my Christmas tree and listening to Bing Crosby. But hey, everybody has their own, their own way of doing it. You know, I used to think the same way that you do. Uh, I used to be in that camp, but a few years back, um, 2020 to be specific, we decided, you know what? We're starting Christmas early because it makes us happy. And we needed a little happiness that year. And so ever since then, I've, I've already been, you know, playing my tunes and uh, we've drug out the decorations. I don't have anything up yet, but, you know, everybody does it their own way. And, and I respect different opinions. <laughs> um, you just got to learn to enjoy Thanksgiving more. No, I it's love not that you you don't have to like Christmas any less. You just got to learn to love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I just want to enjoy it with my Christmas decorations. <laughs> uh, see, we have an entire house worth of Thanksgiving decorations. There's no room for Christmas until Thanksgiving is over. I uh, see we don't have we don't really have any of that. So, yeah. Um, 
Um, and, but, and, hey. that's, and the Thanksgiving decorations are completely different than the Halloween decorations. Right, right. <laughs> uh, we don't we don't really do that. But hey, listen, listeners, whatever you want to do, do it. Right. True. You know that that's that's the way. That's do why what I feel makes it. you happy. If if you wanna if you wanna wait until Thanksgiving, wait until Thanksgiving. I mean, once upon a time, some people would have said even that's early. <laughs> So, you know, but we, we do have a policy. We don't do anything like we don't even go into like the Christmas section of the store before Halloween. I know some people who, who would do that differently, but we, we at least put some limit on it. <laughs> um, and I know, Good to there, know he does have some standards, folks. There, there, there are people <laughs> wanting to throw their phone or whatever they're listening on across the room, just hearing me talk about Christmas before Thanksgiving. But uh, again, everybody has their own way of doing it. Uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like pineapple on pizza. You know what? I don't really like pineapple on pizza, but uh, if you do, it's good. If you mix in some barbecue sauce and some bacon, I can say, if, if you like that, do your thing, man, enjoy it. <laughs> okay. So, uh, let's just all learn to get along with each other with our differences. Cats and dogs living together. <laughs> hey, you know what? Cats and dogs can live together if they want to. That's fine. <laughs> Look, you're not here to hear us talk about uh, those kind of things. You're here to hear us talk about the Wheel of Time, and particularly the Dragon Reborn. And the intent for tonight is to get through chapters two through four. And I say the intent, as you well know, because... We wanted to do chapter two last week, but didn't quite get there. Yeah. Um, but we're going to try to get through those three chapters tonight. Maybe we'll be able to do it. Maybe we just need to, you know, um, maybe be a little bit more concise. I don't know. But let's discuss <laughs> what's there to discuss. So you ready to dive into it tonight or this week? I am ready. Let's go. All right. We'll go ahead and dive into chapter two. Chapter two. Sidene. As Leah speaks privately with Moraine, Perrin and Men talk about what men can see around the Tuathan woman. Loyal joins them for a discussion about Taviran, but when Rand emerges, Perrin follows. As Rand broods about his duty, Perrin gets a first-hand look at the dangers of Sidene. So this chapter is, at first, it's... You know, a bunch of discussion, a bunch of things being talked about. Let's start with a um, little conversation between men and Perrin about Leah, the Tuathan woman. And I guess we can count this as one of men's visions. Yep. I don't know. Uh, maybe we do need to add it to our list, uh, which I have yet to actually make um, of <laughs> visions because i don't know how long this might play out we may get an answer in tonight's episode um maybe not it may actually have more questions about those visions after this week's episode but uh what does men see when she looks at this um tuathan woman so what she sees here is Basically, the woman's head floating over her own shoulder, covered in blood. And what does she... She she claims to, to know what that means. Yeah, so uh, 
According to Man, uh, she is going to die. Yeah, she's pretty confident that that's what that means. And, you know, it creates this whole situation of basically, you know, Perrin is concerned about Leah, right? Yeah. But do you think maybe he's a little bit more concerned about whether it whether or not it means there could be an attack? Yeah. You know, that that idea is definitely bouncing around throughout this conversation, but I don't think anybody is giving it, like, full credence. Because, you know, they scouted, and they did this, and they did that. Um, But I do think there is something in the back of Perrin's mind (laughs) uh, that is making him more wary. Well, he even even asks asks men... I think almost inadvertently without really thinking about it when, mm-hmm. which she gets upset about because it's not, that's not how it works. But, you know, he's yeah. trying to ascertain could there be an attack or could this be something that's going to happen to her far away from here? Yeah. But what I, something else I, I found interesting, and I think I, I know the answer to it, but as, as they were discussing, um, men's visions um it's 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 right before loyal comes over she she's talking about uh, actually let me just go ahead and find it it's page 33 in my copy uh she has this statement um Perrin says it's just that i wish there was something i could do about leah i couldn't stand it the way you do knowing and not being able to do anything to which she says strange how you seem to care so much about the tuatha'an they are utterly peaceful and i always see violence around he turned his head away and she cut off abruptly i guess she was about to say she always sees violence around the the traveling people mm. or no you don't think so I think she was about to say she always sees violence around Perrin. I thought that at first, but the more I read it, it just seems like, like almost like the natural thing she was going to say was, I always see violence around them. But I mean, I guess that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, it makes more sense for it to be Perrin. See, now you got, I, I thought, I, I thought I, I knew the answer, but now you got me doubting myself again. Yeah, because <laughs> the, the thing is, um, he had just gotten done saying that he didn't want to know anything about what she saw around him. Right. And the way she says this, and then as soon as he looks, she cuts off abruptly. That really, to me, drives home that she was talking about him because she's like catching herself doing what he asked her not to. I'm going to have to think about on it some more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I at I think you're right. I I trust you. Yeah. I'm just it's I mean, I don't know, maybe could... the the way it was worded, the way that she was saying it, it seems more natural she would be talking about them, but I mean, in in, in context it, it seems to fit more that she's talking about him. Yeah, um, the thing is, she, she says, strange how you seem to care so much for the Tuatha Wand. They are utterly peaceful, 
It's like she's juxtaposing things. She, she, she's they creating are a contrast. And I always see violence around. You know, All right. It, you, you got me convinced on that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think maybe it's just now, the way I was reading it. Yeah. No, it's it's easy to think about it because, you know, you probably would imagine you might always see violence around the Tuatha one because violence is so often done to them. Yeah. And they never fight back. But, uh, yeah, I think in this instance, I think it is uh, uh, Perrin she is talking about. And I like to, to, you know, this little back and forth between Perrin and men here. It really is a interesting little juxtaposition between how they're handling. Like each of them has these strange abilities they don't really want, but it's, it's interesting to see how Min, despite not wanting them, has kind of embraced them, whereas Perrin doesn't want them and has is actively trying to avoid his. So it's there are two people both being controlled and manipulated by the pattern, both with strange abilities they don't didn't ask for and didn't want, but they're approaching how they handle things very differently, which is an interesting uh, comparison here, in my opinion. Yeah, I think there might be a little bit more of that a little bit later on, um, some more of their discussions. Yeah. Um, but one thing that they can agree on, um, it's about that time when they're, when they're talking that, that loyal joins the conversation. Uh, first he's excited about there being to in the camp. And then he's, uh, as is common with loyal, the topic of Tavirin gets brought up. Yep. And this is something that men and Perrin can actually agree on to an extent, um, is the effect that Tavirin is having on their lives. Men, you know, realizes that so much of what's happened to her is her being pulled in the pattern by these Tavirin. Perrin, of course, is one himself, but isn't happy with, um, as he puts it, being so bloody Tavirin all the time. Yeah, <laughs> because that's the that's the thing that they don't talk about quite as much, especially not in the beginning, with Taviran nature. While some people would say it's like almost like a power, like, oh, the you can shape the pattern and woo. Yeah. But the problem is for the person that is Taviran, their choices, sure, are going to shape the pattern, but the pattern is instinctively shaping them and forcing their choices. Like they're limited, whereas most people could just walk any direction they want and do what they want. As Taviran, the fact that the pattern is using them is always apparent. They're always their choices are always going to be shaped and limited. They can't literally do whatever they want. The pattern's going to find a way to weave itself back around them. So the idea, you know, even if Perrin just decided to drop everything drop that axe on the ground and just walk off into the wilderness, the pattern it's, isn't going to let that happen. Yeah, it's still going to get him back, which again plays into the conversation about fate. Yeah. That again, I think we'll bring up a little bit later. Uh, how How is Loyal feeling about <laughs> being around so many Taviran? You know, it, it's fun with Loyal because he... <laughs> he has such a 
innocent view of so much of the world, and he's, once again, just academically inclined. He's thinking about writing a book. Yeah, and I was really excited to come to that point, um, because you and I have talked about it off-air, and, you know, I... You, you, and I told you my theory about, about Loyal's book. And yeah. you told me that it's a pretty common theory in the, uh, in the Wheel of Time community, but that what we're reading is Loyal's book that he decided to write. Yeah. Which, there's never, you know, there's no note from Robert Jordan that says that or that confirms it. But, you know, it is a very popular idea. That yeah. if it is not exactly what we are reading, it is a similar thing to what yeah. we end up reading. Well, to to your point, there, uh, I'm guessing there is no word from Robert Jordan or the Jordan camp denying it either. No. Which means that's headcanon, and I will be accepting that from here on out. Yeah. Um, and you will not be able to convince me otherwise. Um. Okay, um, there's, I guess, a little bit to discuss about Rand in this chapter. First of all, um, to the Shinarans, he is, I mean, the best thing since sliced bread, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Even, even... Even Masima is holding Rand in the greatest honor. And what we remember about Masima is under any other circumstances, he would probably want Rand dead just because of his ties to the Aeol. Yeah, um, I mean, he did pretty much yeah, want Rand dead for until, most of book two. Until he found um, out who he was. Yeah, um, it, and, and it's it's interesting how they react, uh, especially Masima. He's almost, uh, and some of the other Shinarans too, it's almost like a fanaticalism, like a, it is, uh, that has come over them. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that for the Shinarans, these people that have been raised near the blight, they fought all their lives. They're trained soldiers. They are fully aware of the strength of the shadow right. and what the last battle entails. And so if the dragon's here, that means the last battle is coming and there ain't no more, you know, time to, for niceties. It's time for, you know, to get in line and get ready to go fight the last battle. And that's where their heads are at. Yeah. So they don't, do they like the fact that the dragon can channel that he's a guy <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, are they understanding that they need him to fight the Dark One? Yes. Yeah. And that they are sworn to that idea, and they take their oaths very seriously. Once that's done, that's that's done. Right. So. Uh, let, let's, let's talk about how Perrin is feeling <laughs> about Rand. Um, I guess it's, it's kind of the whole thing of... He is trying to wrestle with what he's been taught his whole life about the dragon. Yeah. And that is basically fear. Yep. But now it turns out that the dragon is, you know, 
his brother from another mother, you know, one <laughs> of his his best friend, yeah. you know, one of his two best friends growing up, you know, they're in their late teens, early 20s, you know, they've grown up together. I mean, yeah, I would be wrestling with both sides of that coin, too. Uh, you know, it'd be, yeah. if I've suddenly found out that you were the Dragon Reborn, I, I would feel really strange, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and Perrin has it, you know, a little worse, too, because he knows, and I think the last two books have proven this to him, that because of the Tavira nature, he is tied to Rand. Like, he can almost... It's almost like he can feel it. Okay. Like, that connection, that despite... Even if completely opposite of how Perrin's personality is, like, he is a loyal friend. He's not going to abandon Rand. But even if he wanted to, I think Perrin has come to realize that he doesn't have a choice in it. You really want to get into this discussion about fate, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going with how it naturally is. Right. In the, uh, I got you. As we're reading, uh, you know, you. it's... But I think Perrin does have a lot of... Perrin is spending way too much time in Perrin's head. And mm. I think that's Perrin's, one of Perrin's uh, biggest issues as a character yeah. It's not good for Perrin to be stuck in Perrin's head. And he's had a, an entire winter stuck in the mountains to think. And it's too much. And it's coming, you know. Him and Rand here, you know, are talking about everything that's gone on with Moraine and with everything going on. And there's a, just a lot going on in Perrin's head. Right. There's a lot going on in Rand's head, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was I was listening back to the chapters today and I'll tell you the the vibe that I got off of Rand in this chapter. It is very much Order of the Phoenix Harry Potter. <laughs> that that whole and, and you know, in this case, you know, maybe there's a little bit more truth to it. You know, the whole everybody's dying for me. I should be there to do something. Because that's what he's been arguing with Moraine about all winter, right? Yeah. Is there's this fighting going on down on Almuth Plain, and he wants to be in the middle of it. But he also, at the same time, recognizes that Moraine is right. <laughs> I can't do really do anything about it. Yeah. He's really wrestling. I mean, he's he's wrestling with his identity almost as much, if not more, than Perrin is. Yeah. And I think for Rand, too, he has this, this thought, I think, here, you know, dealing with how he feels about all these people that are out there fighting and dying in his name. And he, in one point, he almost hits on the fact that, what if, you know... Is it all my fault? Like, if I had just not proclaimed myself, if I had chosen not right. to hoist that banner, if I had chosen to let my friends die and didn't make that choice, would all these people still be dying? Would the pattern have done something else? Would the wheel have chosen a different path? You know, he's he's playing the what-if game in his head um, because he doesn't fully... He's still struggling, like you said, with identity. Yeah. He's convinced himself 
that he has to do what's being what's happening now because of duty. But he still doesn't really want to accept that he is the dragon, that he is this person that they've all been taught from children was basically the destroyer of the world. Right, right. You 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 mentioned duty. We got that quote again. Death is yeah. lighter than a feather, duty heavier than a mountain. Yeah. And we do finally get confirmation here that it is a Shinar and saying. A Shinar and so. saying, yeah. Um, well, all of that kind of, I guess, at least in this moment, comes to a head when Ran, what, basically causes an earthquake? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> through through uh, the power. Um, and, and, and apparently, you know, basically what he told Perrin was he was kind of filling up with the power and he had to do something with it before it burned him up. Yeah. And it resulted in this earthquake. Yeah. Basically Um, he, he, uh, on a much smaller scale, he pulled a loose there in here. Like he drew power in, he had nowhere to let it go. And so he just hit, he just channeled it into the ground just like Luz Theron did when he created Dragon Mount. <laughs> right. uh, so, you know, Rand has a real problem here. He doesn't know how to control it, and more and more he is becoming enticed and enthralled by the power, by the feeling he gets when he holds it. And he talks about that here, how he finds himself craving it, he wants to take hold of it, even though it's tainted. The taint's not enough. He still wants it. It kind of kind of comes back to what we've talked about before, is it being like an addiction? Yeah, it I is. Mean, I mean, it, it really is. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, and he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to do half the stuff he's already done, even. Right. You know, he, he's not able to duplicate things. On any kind of a measurable level. He's got no teaching and training. And he's just taking... He's literally like a child who runs to a fire and picks up a stick and now has a torch waving it around. <laughs> like, he has... Or, no, actually, he's worse. He's like if you gave a toddler the nuclear access codes. I mean, <laughs> he has no ability whatsoever to, like, control or, you know, he has achieved... At some point, a modicum of control to do what he wants, but it's it's not on purpose. Like, he's just gotten lucky that he's wanted to do something with the power, and the power has worked the way he wanted it to. Right. Uh, so, it's a very dangerous situation here, and I think this is uh, a wake-up call for everybody here, realizing just what how dangerous Rand is at this point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if only there was someone out there that could teach him. Um, yeah. But, I don't know, men who can channel are extremely rare. So Yeah, and any man who would actually be trained is long dead at this point. <laughs> right. Been gone uh, for a long time. Uh, one other thing, b- before we move on from this chapter, and we probably do need to move on, is... Uh, there's a little bit at the end, uh, this little quick discussion between Perrin and Rand about dreams. It starts um, as, as Perrin is leaving. It says Perrin hesitated, then turned reluctantly toward the crack in the valley wall. He stopped when Rand spoke again. Do you have dreams when you sleep? 
Good dreams? Sometimes, Perrin said warily. I don't remember much of what I dream. He had learned to set guards on his dreaming. They're always there, dreams, Rand said so softly Perrin barely heard. Maybe they tell us things, true things. He fell silent, brooding. First of all, um, Perrin's not being entirely truthful as we learn a little bit later on because apparently he's had the same dream four nights in a row or yeah. three nights in a row at this point and is going to have it again in chapter four. Um, but I, I'm, uh, you know, there's been so much so already about dreams in this series. It just seemed, you know, significant that that would be how they end the conversation. And obviously Rand thinks there's something, uh, I mean, I guess because of what's happened in the past, he definitely feels something worth mentioning his dreams. I don't know. I just thought it was at least, at least worth bringing up. Um, no, and and, and there's was, a, a hidden little gem in this section that you just wanted to talk about that I want to bring your attention to. Okay. So, do you have dreams when you sleep? Good dreams. Sometimes, Perrin said warily. I don't remember much of what I dream. And then it says, he had learned to set guards on his dreaming. Yeah, I didn't miss that. I just, I didn't really know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's interesting that Perrin has learned to somehow guard his dreams, or at least he thinks he has. Yeah. Uh, which is something but, Moraine says that she's able to do for them, but this yeah. is something different. Yeah. But has he, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, we may I have some know. questions about that going in in a few more chapters. Yeah, I think so too. Um, maybe we should go ahead and move on into chapter three so that we can get to chapter four. Yes. <laughs> so chapter three, news from the plane. Perrin returns to camp to find the aftermath of Rand's little incident. Perrin and men. Discuss the hands that they've been dealt, and Moraine brings news from down on Almuth Plain. As the camp quiets down for the night, there's an uneasiness that hangs over everything. Okay, um, so Perrin gets back to camp. There's obviously evidence of what Rand has done. I believe there's actually one of the little huts has actually fallen down and is being repaired. Yeah, uh, in that moment, uh, there's a lot of things going on around. <laughs> it it almost kind of uh, reminds me of like if you kick an ant hill. Oh wow, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. You know, all the activity that starts immediately. Yep. Um, I guess that is kind of what what's happening. And of course, Moraine is standing there looking because she knows exactly what's happened, and. Yep. <laughs> She's uh, she's none too happy about it any either, and probably for good reason, as we're going to find out in in just a few minutes. But I want to talk first about the the well, we have to talk about the discussion that Perrin and men have. It's basically a discussion about fate, um, because men, I, I'm particularly interested in, you know, her. She she's pretty much resigned to her fate. Right. She has you know 
it's not what she would have chosen. But she's decided there's nothing that can change it, so she might as well accept it. And I really like the the quote that she has. Uh, I didn't write down the page number. I have it actually in, in my notes. It says, Just because fate has chosen something for you, instead of you choosing it for yourself, doesn't mean it has to be bad. Yeah. I, I found that to be very profound. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's something that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm all for, I, I believe in the power of choice and our choices, you know, affecting the way things go. But sometimes we get dealt hands that we can't do anything about and might as well make the best of it, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's uh, what men is, is trying to do here. Yeah, it's it's interesting men's perspective here. And it has to do, I think, a lot with how much longer she's been dealing with these things than the rest of them. Like, for all we know, men has been seeing these visions since she was a toddler. Like, we're right. not given well, any sense of, like, it being a new thing to her. Right, well, I think it, at one point it's mentioned... You know, she was like six or seven when she realized um, other people couldn't see other what people she couldn't saw. see what she was seeing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's been a good while. Go ahead. I'm so, sorry, I interrupted you. No, <laughs> it's just that because of that, and she she is very quick to point that out here uh, in some of the stuff that's about to happen. She's not. She know when she knows she's knows, and she's never seen. She's never seen anything that didn't happen. Like, and you know, you get the uh, the impression that when she was younger, maybe she tried to change things. Like, maybe yeah. she and she she learned really quick that that wasn't how it worked. That's a good good um, thought. And yeah. so I think she has had more time to become accustomed to this idea of you know inevitability, like. She knows down in her core these things can't be changed. And because of that, instead of fighting against them, and even still we see her doing some of that, but for the most part, instead of fighting against what she knows she can't change, she's trying to live within it and find the happy medium between, yeah. you know, understanding she can't change it. So, Maybe it doesn't have to be bad. Make make the best of it. Yeah. It's kind of like that little story she told about the, uh, you know, the woman with the arranged marriage and Ilion ultimately finds out that, you know, it wasn't so bad. Yeah. Um, and, but, but also there's the thing of, you know, she didn't realize that until it was too late. Yeah. And if you, if you accept things, you know, go ahead and accept things, yeah. you know, you can maybe still get some joy out of life. And I, I, there's a lot of wisdom there, I think. Yeah. Uh, life lessons with Robert Jordan. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm serious. I, I, I say no, that I, kind of in jest, but I'm also very serious. There is some deep yeah. wisdom in that. Um, another thing, I, I just wanted to mention this very briefly because every time this comes up, it, uh, it makes me laugh. This whole thing of these three young men all think that the others know how to talk to women. 
Yeah. Uh, and we see it with Perrin here. He's, he's trying to, you know, have this conversation with men. He completely doesn't understand half of what she's saying. And all he can think is, man, Rand or Matt would know what to do in this situation. <laughs> yeah. Because in Perrin's mind, she starts talking about like that wedding, the right. marriage and in Perrin's mind, he automatically assumes that that means she somehow has feelings for him. <laughs> oh, Perrin. I mean, so. you know, I can be a thick skulled man myself sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, it's um, a, it's just an interesting thing with poor Perrin. Here. I just, it's like every time that little idea comes up and, and all three of them do it. If I remember yeah. correctly. Oh, yeah. and that's them. not going to stop. No, I, I know I it's it's not. <laughs> I think that may honestly hang around until it may even be in the last book. Yeah, well, it's... probably not the last one, but it is something that will definitely be a recurring thing with these guys. And I will chuckle at it every single time. Um, bigger, I guess, bigger fish to fry in this chapter, though, is uh, we get. We we get some information from Moraine, and probably more than we thought we might. Uh, certainly more than some people thought that she would she would dish yeah. out. Um, let's start with she gives news about Leah. Uh, she was injured in the earthquake and split her scalp, which um, head wounds have a lot of yeah. blood. <laughs> yeah, and which. Brings up the all-important question, was men wrong? Yeah. Even she, Moraine here is somewhat, like, trying to, like, say, well, you know, she's almost placating here when it comes to what men is saying. But right. men is just, like, determined. Well, no, as, that's not how it works. As far as men is concerned, she has never been wrong. Yeah. When she thought she knew what a vision meant. Yeah. Um, and and even, you know, I, I wrote it down this way, even in the midst of, she, she's a little bit relieved that it seems like Leah's going to be okay, yeah. that it was just a head wound, but she's also troubled at the same time thinking she could have been wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I could ask you, what do you think? But you probably already know the answer. I guess maybe I should ask myself, what do I think? <laughs> and I, I don't think men's wrong. Yeah. I want to think that it's just the head wound and that's what she saw with the blood rolling down her face. But I can only think of one possible scenario wherein men would be wrong. And it is such a small percentage chance and the factors that would go into making that happen are so infant, like infinitesimally small, right? That you might, I would say, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time she's going to be dead on. Uh, you just triggered a lot of people in South Carolina, by the way. Um, <laughs> we we had uh, look up George Sink commercials. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's 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 one of those uh injury lawyers. 
Oh. And uh, his phone number is all nines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, triggering South Carolinians. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that was fun. Uh, news yeah. from Almuth Plain. There's quite a bit yeah. going on on Almuth Plain. Uh, some of it we already know, right? Yeah, I think most of the news we're getting here as the readers... The stuff we already knew was going to be taking place. Right. We we We're already just kind of knew seeing it come to fruition. Yeah, we already knew there's fighting. Yep. Um Had we heard anything about Hunters of the Horn yet? No. Uh, other than the fact that the well, horn you know we the proclamation had gone out, there were hunters out and about. Right, we know we they're out there. We hadn't had any reference to them being on Almuth Plain, but I mean it just makes sense they're gonna be everywhere. Yeah. And and I guess the other big big news, well, two other pieces of big news. First is that there are about 5,000 white cloaks on Almuth Plain, which Uno very carefully <laughs> uh suggests is maybe about half of their total strength. Yeah, and that's not for Uno's sake, that's probably not taking into account the 1,000 that died already. So mm. It's probably more, so we're probably looking at the number of active military white cloaks being in the neighborhood of 10,000. Yeah. yeah. So that makes the the deaths that happened at Falma, the thousand, that whole legion, that makes that a lot bigger of a deal Pretty now that you realize yeah. that. Yeah, that's, it is. That's a tenth of the entire white cloak army. <laughs> well, I mean... I don't want to sound callous, but a few less white cloaks in the world. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I again, we, we get Perrin's dislike of the white cloaks. Um, and I'm, I'm right there with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm right there with him. Um, I do also, I love these moments with Uno when, especially when he's around, the Aes Sedai. Yeah. Just, I mean, you can see him. I mean, in, in my mind's eye, I can see him straining, Yeah, you know, you to watch his language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another one yeah. of those moments that, that always uh, kind of makes me chuckle. I love um, Uno, by the way. Yeah, Uno's great. Um, he really is. Um, <laughs> you want to tell the other... Big piece of news that comes up from Almuth Plain? Uh, yeah. Murder. You could say that. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, but the more surprising in my mind, even than the news, is how it is gained. Um, we see something we very seldom see here in this little scenario, and that is a surprised lamb. <laughs> that is not a thing you see very often, uh, uh, which is is what leads me to my uh, presumption here. I don't think Moraine originally intended to share this news. I think, for the first time, we're seeing Perrin's Taviran nature come into play. Okay. I think that Perrin's Taviran is shaping the pattern. The pattern wants that information known. 
And so it's pulling and shaping things so that Moraine, because they even mentioned that Loyal talks about it earlier in the last chapter, mm-hmm. how people who were around Arthur Hawkwing, who was magnificently powerfully Taviran, said that they could almost feel the pattern shaping itself around him if they were in the same room with them. What's happening here, I think, is Perrin's Taviran nature and also being in such close proximity to Rand, the pattern is shaping itself as it wills. And this information is part of what the pattern wants known. And so Moraine is sharing it, whether she intended to or not. Hmm. That that's crazy to wrap the head around. I have to be honest. Yeah. But it's also given our, our conversation last week about compulsion. Yeah. Um, you know, not, it's not confirmed that that's what Moraine is doing, but if it is, may almost makes it kind of fitting that, you know, the pattern would kind of compel her in a way too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I like Moraine. Well, I will say. I don't always uh, trust her, which is probably a good thing. I will say, in reference to my previous comments in the last episode about the compulsion, we are given a little more detail in these chapters that tends to point away from that for her. Okay, okay. uh, Because we are finally given reference to the fact that she has been communicating with people in some way or another, whether maybe she's been sending pigeons or something, but somehow or another she has been making contact because she makes mention to the fact that the way she got this information is through the Tuathawan that she asked to stay on Almuth Plain. Okay. So in some way or another, she has been communicating with these people. We just weren't given that information before, and we're still not told how. Right. Um, she could be using the power in some way to do that. We don't know. But we yeah. do know, at least now, she has... They... There is some communication going on here. It's not just that these women are randomly showing up, which is kind of what we were led to believe in the first couple of chapters. Okay. I guess I kind of missed that, but, um, you know, uh, still interesting that the possibility that Moraine isn't, you know, doesn't have full control over the situation here, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, uh you know, the... Moraine is powerful and strong, but she ain't got nothing on the wheel and pattern itself. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, so. Yeah, but it, it this information is important, uh, That and it leads us to a couple of different things. Um, first, boys that very much match the description of Rand yeah. are winding up dead. And right. Not in a overt kind of way. Like, they're just being found dead right. through various means. Uh, which brings Lan and the Shinarans to start discussing something called the Soulless. That just sends a shiver down my spine. And, uh, I mean, I think I know what we're talking about here, but as as... Trying to put myself in myself in the shoes of a first time reader, just thinking about that yeah. I, that concept, just uh, yeah. We we unfortunately can't say much here because we're not given much to play with, right? Uh, without going deep into spoilers. Um, well, but 
Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. But it is a very much an unsettling thing, and you see that especially with like men vocalizes it. It's like it's bad enough that there are Murdral and Trollocs and things that you can see and be afraid of. It's something altogether different to know that there's something out there that can come get you and you wouldn't even know about it before until it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> just real quickly, I, I would I would mention that, you know, the Shinarans seem unsettled by the idea of the soulless. And I mean, these are men who, you know, their whole lives, they've been fighting the shadow. They've been fighting Trollocs. They've been fighting Murdral. But one mention of these soulless, whatever they are, and even they are seeming a little bit uncomfortable with it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, I, I want to find out more, but at the same time, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the most we can say is that, at, right now, is that they seem to be some type of dark shadow spawn assassin. Yeah. Um, but that's as much as we're given right now. Um, we do get one more little piece of information towards the end of this chapter, um, unless you had anything else to discuss here. No, go right ahead. Okay. So the only other thing is we get that Moraine is upset with Rand's channeling outburst for more than one reason. It's not just the fact that he could have brought the mountain down on top of them. It's because he basically has lit a signal fire for anyone who's looking for them a.k.a. any Murdral who are looking for them, in, you know, what, what she said, 100 miles? Uh, uh, I don't remember what the, if she gave a distance. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it was, I think, I want to say it was like 10 miles, but I don't know. 10 it, miles. It, I guess the distance but, isn't super important. Yeah, but so this is our first legit confirmation of the fact of a Murdral ability that we'd kind of gotten hints at, but... Murdral can apparently sense channeling. I was going to ask about that because I, I felt like we had gotten hints at that in the first book, like when so they we were got, on when they were on the run. Yeah, we got hints uh, that they could possibly we 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 got hints that they were able to sense Rand and Matt, but the the way it was laid out in the first book. It was actually pretty much attributed to the dagger. Like the Murdral were tracking the dagger because it was such evil that they were able to feel it. Yeah. Um, I I was thinking more. I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. I was thinking there was some of that, like even before they reached Bearlon. Um. But they, we see Moraine channeling several times during that time period. So. Yeah. Um, I guess if it was a thing, it wasn't too... Well, Moraine does mention several times, like, is the amount of channeling. Okay. Like, she okay. doesn't specifically say it's the merge roll, but she does mention several times, you know, if I were to do such and such, I would be lighting a signal for anyone that's looking. Uh, this is just when we finally get confirmation that it is, in fact, an ability of the merge roll okay. specifically. Okay. Uh-huh. So she's mentioned several times that by channeling too strongly, she could alert people to their presence, but she's never specifically called it out as the murder roll. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, I guess I'm ready for chapter four. All righty. Chapter four, Shadows Sleeping.
Perrin's sleep is troubled by dreams of strange people and strange places. One man wonders if Perrin will give up his axe, and a beautiful woman encourages him to embrace his glory. In another place, three men argue before being engulfed in fire in a, in a strange columned hall. Perrin reaches for a sword made of crystal before he is awakened with a warning. One thing I like about this one one thing I like about this chapter is I feel like it breaks down really well. Um you know, we've got the meeting with the strange man and then the beautiful woman and then in that weird place of stone and then amongst yeah. those those columns. So I guess we'll just start with who is the stranger? The strange man, and what does he want with Perrin? Yeah, I mean, I I, I have a feeling. That, I mean, it feels to me like Baalzaman, <laughs> and he probably wants Perrin to lay down that axe and stop fighting. But I so, don't know. <laughs> so I think it makes sense here. And there's so much in this chapter that I can't say. <laughs> uh, I think it would make very much sense here, given the the hints and the little slippets that Perrin is thinking here, for this to yeah. be Balsamon. Because but, he makes reference to the fireplace. He yeah. makes reference to the fact that something is wrong with the eyes. Right. Uh, and But he can't quite figure it out. Yeah. Um, and then there's... There's the Go moment ahead. when he turns his back and he feels like there's a furnace been opened behind him. Yeah. Uh, all of that to me seems to be pointing to Balsamon. But but I thought Balsamon was dead. <laughs> yeah. It's not the not the first time we thought yeah, that, not, is it? <laughs> yeah, not the first time we've been thought he's been thought dead. Um yeah. but it's interesting here. Um if it's Balsamon, uh it really does make sense what he's doing here because his entire plan uh, in the last book was to try and get Egwene and Nynaeve out of the picture mm -hmm. because he knows that those are threads that are tied to Rand that Rand needs to be successful. I think he's doing the exact same thing here. Yeah. Except this time he's going for Perrin and he's trying to use Perrin's own doubts and misgivings to basically, he, he, if he can convince Perrin to just walk away, he doesn't have to kill him. He just needs him to not be there to help Rand. Hmm. And so I think that's his focus here is to somehow get Perrin to, of his own choice, step away or possibly something worse. Okay. Um, you know, it is possible because he talks about how there are things, there are ways and things that he can do to help change the fate that he fears, which I think is making direct reference to the wolves here. Mm. Um, I don't know, but to me, it seems like while he's not saying it, his way of changing parents' fate might be to cut that thread short. <laughs> I mean, it seems, I mean, given our discussions of Taverin already, 
this week. By the way, something that Perrin admits to in this chapter for the first time. Yeah. I mean, it, it is in a dream, but he does say it in his dream. He says it out loud that he is Tavirin. But, you know, it almost based on what we've talked about tonight, I mean, would Perrin, I mean, how else could he stop Perrin from being involved short of killing him? Yeah. Because as we've been talking about, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, and I, I think I agree that Perrin could lay down that axe and walk off into the sunset and still would be in it. Yep. Because he's Tavira. And so, you know, seems like there's really only one thing for Baalzaman to do. Yep. Whether he actually realizes that or not, I don't know. Yeah, um, I think. I think there may be actually two outcomes. He needs one of two things to happen. He either needs Perrin dead, or he needs Perrin to choose, just like he tried over and over and over with Rand, he needs Perrin to do the same thing he needed Rand to do, submit. He needs Perrin yeah. to, of his own choice, choose the Shadow. Seems like he's uh that's gonna be a, a, a hard sell on Perrin. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, he's definitely uh got a lot going against him here. But I think Yeah, there's just a lot going on here with Perrin. Uh, I think we need to get a little more into the chapter before I bring up my next okay. point. Alright, well the 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 second part of the dream is this First of all, Perrin sees himself, he looks in a mirror, and he's in this wonderfully ornate armor. Uh, the only thing that's not, you know, super fancy is the axe. It's still normal. Um, but then there's this this woman, this incredibly beautiful, the most beautiful woman Perrin has ever seen. Dark eyes, pale skin dressed in white silk, dark hair, silver accents <laughs> on her clothing. Very thin. I, I, I like that description. Perrin said something about, you know, he could wrap his hands around her. She's so thin. Um, and, and she's doing the exact opposite of what the male stranger was doing. She is trying to tell Perrin, you know, seize your glory. You know, take yeah. your place in the sun. Which sounds oddly familiar to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we can... I think without even trying to hide spoilers here, I think we all know who this is. Uh, it's it's Gwen, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because we, we met her at the end of the last book. We did. Uh, we are dealing with land fear. Um, one of the Forsaken. Yep. Uh, which uh, is a scary prospect in and of itself. Yeah. So, but there's still there's something else that feels familiar about her. I don't. I I can't quite put my finger on it. You know. Or or maybe I can, but I, I don't want to say any more. <laughs> Um, and, and maybe it's obvious to, to anyone listening. This is one of those situations where prior knowledge, I actually remember something. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, I won't say anything more, but yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about this part of the dream? Um, I think it's interesting. We see this uh, kind of internal battle here with Perrin. The entire time she Lanfear is talking with him, he's having his own conversation in his head with something else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's you know, right. And he That's keeps right. responding out loud, and it's to her. It's like she's talk. He's talking to her. Yeah. But he's completely oblivious to what she's saying for the most part. He's just talk. He's fighting his own little internal fight. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure what's happening here is he's fighting against the wolves. I was thinking the same thing is that the wolves were trying to to kind of get in. Yeah. And, and he's I, he's fighting against it, which kind of the same thing happened in the first part of the dream too. Yep. Um, it's going to continue to happen as the dream progresses as right, well. Right. And I I think uh, I think this is the best point to bring this up. Perrin is doing something to himself here. It is, in a lot of ways, in my opinion, is almost akin to self-harm with what he is doing. He is forcing the part of his nature that connects to the wolves away. He is segregating it off, and in so doing, he's inadvertently making himself vulnerable. Okay. So that comment that I talked about with Rand, where it says that Perrin had learned to guard his dreams. Yeah. Perrin had guarded his dreams. We saw that taking place uh, towards the end of book one. And then all through book two, his dreams are guarded because the wolves are there in his dreams, guarding him while he sleeps. Okay. He has... He has gotten to the point where he is so much opposed to wanting that side of himself that he has basically forced his own protection away. Mm. He's banished his guardians, basically, and left himself susceptible. That's how Balsamon is in his dreams again. Lanfear is in his dreams again. Because he is basically refusing to accept a part of himself to such a degree and we see this nature, like, in the dreams, uh, will is supreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we he has almost, it's almost like he's cut off his own arm to spite himself in doing so. He's left himself open to attack and vulnerable, and it's very, very self-destructive, what he's doing mentally here in the dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh that just that just makes me feel so bad for him. Yeah. I mean, I really am. I'm I'm feeling for Perrin in this and you know, part of me wants to go and hit him over the head and be like, "Hey, stop doing this to yourself." Yeah. But then there's a part of me that just, you know, wants kind of wants to just let him let loose with everything that he's feeling, you know, and just vent for a few minutes. Uh, maybe that would do him some good too. I don't know, but I, I'm really, you know, the way you mentioned that I, I'm really feeling for him and having to deal with all this. So, yeah. um, but the dream keeps going. Uh, and 
this this next place that he finds himself, I found very interesting. He's standing on a bridge of stone, I guess kind of between like two platforms. Yeah. Or almost seeming like the top of a tower. But the way this place is described, it feels a whole lot like the ways to me. Because yeah. it seems like there's a lot of these bridges connecting platforms. And he mentions that some of them seem like they go straight up to one that's directly above or something like that. I mean, it yeah. feels a lot like the ways. I don't know that that's what it is. Um, I don't think that's what it is because the ways seem like there's something different. But it certainly, it certainly feels that way. But I guess more important than the setting is who is in this dream. Um, we see uh, the woman in white again. Yeah. We'll, we'll go ahead and say that's, that's Lanfear. And then who are these other men that show up? One of them, I think is, you know, the stranger from the first part of the dream. Yeah. About we're, we're assuming is Baal Zaman. Yeah. But there are two others and you can't tell us. <laughs> No, I can't. Uh, uh, I'll just go ahead. You, who do you think they might be? Well, with I can't say anything more than to say, I mean, we know there's been one forsaken in the dream, and these two appear to be afraid of Baal Zaman, so I'm thinking they might be some of the forsaken, maybe okay. some that we haven't seen yet. Uh, you know, we, we've met a few, we've heard a few names. Um, I guess it's possible one of these men could be Shamael. We've heard that name, but, right. uh, other than that, uh, I don't have, we, other than, um, uh, what was it? Agenor and, and Balthamel. Balthamel. We haven't heard any of the other Forsaken's names, have we? I don't think so. Those two, Not, we, we've heard. I think maybe, they maybe may some have mentioned of them, one or two names in the very beginning when maybe they were just, talking about the Forsaken. Maybe just in passing, yeah. Yeah, but not in a sense of like, oh, that's this person, just in the right. sense that that was a name that was dropped. Yeah, probably not something that you'd be expected to remember. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's my theory uh, as to what they're talking about. I don't know. Uh, yeah. They're arguing about something. Yeah. And then Baalzaman makes the place go poof. In a big ball of fire. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, um, very clandestine. Uh, but that's so when that, one of the wolves, that's when a wolf shows up. Yeah. And Perrin runs. Yeah. And where does he run to? This strange hall, vast, massive hall. With these huge redstone columns all around, I would almost describe it like a forest of columns. Yeah, in my mind's eye, when I Im imagine this room, <laughs> I know this is mixing fantasy series and everything, but it almost reminds me like you remember in uh, the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, in the Mines of Moria. Moria. Yeah, yeah, it uh, reminds me of the large chamber the, they the enter. Hall. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, that's just always what I picture here. I just color shifted to red. <laughs> it is kind of the that's kind of the vibe that that you get. But um, something that wasn't there in Moria 
is this weird sword. Yeah. That seems to just be hanging there. Um, it's not really a sword. Um, looks like it's either made of glass or crystal, and Perrin can't touch it. And apparently, yeah, the, does does the sword have a name? Is that is that? <laughs> we get that little voice in Perrin's head when he reaches for the sword. Uh, Kalindor, Kalindor. Yep. Who wields me wields destiny. Take me and begin the final journey. Well, Perrin can't. <laughs> he reaches for it and he can't touch it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It makes you wonder if this, like it says here, you know, is the whisper in his own mind? Is somebody actually saying this? What's going? What the heck is going on here? You know. Well, apparently he's not alone. Because a wolf shows up right there at the end and starts telling him that the twisted ones come. Yeah. And that's when he wakes up. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure after he wakes up, he's still getting that voice in his head. The twisted ones come. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting because the entire time since we stepped into Perrin's POV in the, in last week's episode, he's been like pushing back. Like you could tell this entire time, the wolves have been trying to communicate with Perrin like constantly little bits here and there you'll see. And he's pushing against like the sensation in the back of his head. Yeah. They've been trying for probably over a day now to tell him what's happening. And he's been pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. And finally they've stepped up their game (laughs) and basically confronted him in his dreams to try and warn him. Uh, And that's where the chapter ends. Yep. Which is a horrible place to end the episode, but that's where we're going to end it for this week. Cliffhanger. <laughs> it really dun, dun, is. Dun. It is. It's one of the worst cliffhangers <laughs> because it literally ends with <laughs> Perrin being told the Twisted Ones come. Yep. Which, you know, I guess we're assuming the Twisted Ones are Trollocs. That or is Sha- Or Shadowspawn in general. And Twisted Ones, uh, for the wolves, always refers to Trollocs. Oh, they are specifically Trollocs. Okay. Yep. Um, and... Again, that's that's the end. That's it. Yep. Cliffhanger. Yep. Final thoughts. <laughs> uh, you know, this book go these first several chapters really go a long way to kind of making up for the fact that we haven't had a, a real pair in POV other than, you know, the occasional bits in the second book where he right. was trying to lead them. Uh so it's really good to spend some time in Perrin's head, but it's also really sad. It is, because <laughs> uh, poor Perrin is is he does not have as many outright influences trying to tear him apart as Rand does. But at this point, I think Perrin's worst enemy is himself. Mm. Uh, his own internal struggle is so significant. Uh, 
and his everything he's dealing with it's there's no outside force other than the pattern itself that is is at the cause of parents issues it's all internal um, so it's a very different kind of struggle than such as Rand or Matt's. Uh, so you're you're making me feel even worse for Perrin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's not empathy's not a bad thing. No. Um. Well, you know, under any other circumstances, I might be concerned about those five thousand white cloaks down on Almuth Plain. And yeah. probably should be, but again, I'm 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 worried about Perrin. I'm worried about what's about to pop off. Um, yeah, because again, we are leaving on uh, just an awful cliffhanger, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I can't wait. Um, may not get to it uh, tonight, but tomorrow, mo- tomorrow, sometime, getting into the next few chapters. Um. Which will be what chapters? You know, I'm just looking at that right now. Um, as far as chapter size, let's see here. So I don't want to overestimate things again. I will say we will cover chapters five and six. Okay. Uh, yeah. Five and six. All right. Next time. All right. Uh, well, there you have it. Um, all right. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and um, go ahead and shut it down for this week. Again, want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us. As always, we are so glad to have you. We enjoy, at least I know I'd enjoy having these discussions anyway. And Stephen, I think you feel the same. Uh, oh yes, but we enjoy it even more knowing that we get to share it with our listeners. So we are thankful for you. We would love it to um, have you interact with us on social media. All of our uh, social media uh, outlets are on the show notes: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. We're on TikTok now. Uh, you can email us. Just you can interact with us. We'd be happy to. Uh, to, to chat with you in that way. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Tuesday. And of course you can hit the subscribe button wherever you listen. And that will make sure that episodes come directly to your device when they're available. And we would also uh, humbly ask if you would, if you would give us a rating, give us a review uh, that helps us out as far as being more visible to other potential listeners. So if you would help us out doing that, uh, if you can, we'd love it. Again, next week, uh, we'll be discussing chapters five and six of the, gr- uh, not of the Great Hunt. We did the Great Hunt last season. Uh, <laughs> we're in the Dragon Reborn, book three of the Wheel of Time. And we'll be discussing those two chapters, five and six, next time that we get together. So we hope that um, uh, you've had fun tonight. I know that I have and hope that you'll come back and join with us next time. So long, everybody. Night, folks. Have a great rest of your week.